Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick and Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. This is Saturday. I don't even know what the date is. It's April something. Uh, 18th. 18th. Saturday, April 18th, 2020. Welcome, everyone. This hey. is, yeah. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing really well. Excellent. Excellent. I am, I am doing great today, and I'll tell you what, the week was one of the most challenging and difficult weeks I've ever had in my life. You know? What happened? Uh, just, I, I think a culmination of, of all of it, and I think a big part of it was just me trying to figure out what's going on and resisting the things that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I told you a week ago, I had a couple of people I knew passed away and, and I had my cat got sick last week and my cat died at home Tuesday and it's a cat, right? But we couldn't get it to the vet. So the cat died literally in my arms, you know? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cat and I get it. And, and, and I'm not like, you know, my pets are my children or anything like that but they're they're part of you know your environment you're you're living in and and he was a really cool cat had a great spirit about him and was fun and loving and kind and all that other stuff but you know he ate something he shouldn't have and he got sick and we couldn't we took it to the vet three times he couldn't figure it out till it was too late but anyway it doesn't matter but what when when the cat passed what i realized what really 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 got me angry was i was able to be there and be with a little cat when it was dying and how many people are unable to actually be with their loved ones or even know their loved ones are ill and dying, mm-hmm. you know? Because not too far from me out in Joliet, the same day, 22 people died in a, in a you know, what do you, I don't know what you want to call it, old folks home or convalescent home. Because there were a couple of people that weren't that old. But, you know, the, you know a, a, what do they call those places? They're not hospitals, but there were, you know, elderly people live. Nursing homes? Nursing home, yeah, nursing home. Yeah. And 22 people died. Like in a period of you know, twenty four hours, and nobody knew yeah. about it. Yeah, there was a woman standing out in the parking lot, and nobody called her. She right. heard it on the news. And and I'm I'm thinking, have we gotten to this place of this gross inhumanity? You know, yeah. what's going on with us? So I was really looking forward to talking. Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this is I've been thinking non politically about this because I think the political categories. And uh, that we have been yeah. relying on, and the, and the, and as you said, the media categories yeah. are insufficient. So I mean, yeah. I'm a philosopher, yeah. I'm an academic philosopher, I'm a thinker by by training, and you know, and and an artist, and and I've been thinking, I've been thinking that one of the things that we have not, in some sense, had a conversation about nationally mm-hmm. is uh, the conversation about grieving oh, for man. the loss of. Um, the loss for the things that we define as normal in our lives are gone. Yeah. I mean, I mean, one thing is we know that the, okay, the fatality rate of this virus is lower than was expected, but there's a loss of, I think there's a loss of what it means to be um, human in terms of social distancing, in terms of being close to each other. There's a loss of normality. And we're living in the age of uncertainty, yes. which I think is going to produce fear. And I know that you and I have talked about fear. And mm-hmm. I think that 
it is proper for people to experience in an age of uncertainty, a, a kind of fear and not, really and not really suppress their fear. No fear that is indefinitely paralyzing and crippling and that prevents you from moving into action and prevents you from moving into problem solving is, is a kind of becomes, I mean, it becomes neurotic and it becomes a form of inactivity, it becomes problematic. But I think people properly in an age of uncertainty, in an age where they're grieving for, you know, the loss of, of, of things where, that were defined as normal human life is gone and where COVID has come into our inner circle as part of the new normal should feel free to feel fear. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and then, and then to move on. But we really, you know, we really, we, there's not a lot of compassion about, sometimes when I watch the news, Mike, I think that I'm, I've become a, a statistician of gutter trivia. <laughs> especially, especially when I look at the behavior of politicians on, on both sides. And I look at the behavior of certain people. It's like, I think I'm like a statistician of gutter trivia. It's just like watching the absence of compassion. And, and when, you, when the narrative of uncertainty becomes the new normal, I think there's going to be almost like, and when the enemy itself, you know, becomes invisible. Yeah. When 911 happened, we knew who the enemy yeah. was, right? It was these Islamic terrorists. We could put a face to these 19 hijackers. Al-Qaeda had a face. When the, when the enemy is invisible and when you can be carrying the enemy within your, within your own body and you don't even know that you're carrying it, um, that's some scary stuff. Um, and I've been thinking about this. I've just been mm -hmm. thinking about the fact that there are two things that we haven't had a chance to grieve for the loss of our own normal lives. Yeah. Um, and the things that we deem as normal in life is gone. And death that was once a distant thing um, has now become omnipresent in our lives. I mean, not many of us used to walk around thinking about death every day. I mean, we know that we're mortal creatures, but now I know two people who have died. I know tons of people who have the virus mm -hmm. and so do you. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm thinking, is, is my mother going to get it? She's 73 years old. Yeah. She's living in Jamaica. She's known four people who have died from it. She's known three people who have, a ton of people who have had it. You know, so when death becomes omnipresent in your life every day, um, it, it's just a different way of, of functioning. Yeah. And, and, and we haven't really even talked about that from a, from a sociological standpoint. Yeah, you're hitting, on, you're hitting on a couple really, really important points. Uncertainty, grieving, and what that provides, and then our relationship to our own mortality. And yeah. And I think one of the things that's been missing, like the enemy that we're facing, and what I think is really possible is, is something we've talked about a couple of times on the show, but never as specifically. We talked about it as conceptually, and it's really, I see it's really needed now from a practice. And what we're talking about is really being authentic about what the hell's going on, telling the truth, being real. And what's yeah. missing is... You know, I, I woke up this morning and I, I realized this whole thing is crazy because I've been expecting the political people, you know, to be leaders. That's not right. what they are. They're politicians. They, yeah. they're, they're more of an indicator of which way the wind blows than actually a source of the wind. 
Yeah. And the same thing with the media. The media is a place of entertainment. It's not really a source of information, unfortunately. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I realized I've been having expectations of things that aren't set up to deliver those results. And so who's the fool, me or them? It's, it's me. So yeah. we have to get real responsible and start telling the truth about stuff. And the uncertainty is we have not prepared for this. That's, that's a source yeah. of uncertainty. We didn't even see this yeah. coming. You know, we are sitting back pretty fat, lazy, and happy, you know, on our cell phones, you know, uh, calling for, uh, you know, Uber Eats and stuff like that, you know, and haven't really looked at what does it mean. We're, we're the victims of the incredible success and incredible comfort and luxury of what it means to be Americans. And just yeah. like the, just like we didn't see 9-11 coming, we didn't see this coming. Yeah. And so we have to we have to reframe the conversation. And before we can do that, it's going to require grieving. Otherwise, we're just going to operate on top of what was already there, you know. And it's just going to yeah. be some reaction. So yeah. Um, yeah. So. So yeah, man. So is it that uh, Randall? Is it break time? I missed your signal. No. Oh no! I just wanted to say something. Oh, Randall wants to say something, dude. Yeah, go so ahead. I'm a huge believer in history being secular. Mm-hmm. You know, you look in in 1920 we in 1918 we had the Spanish flu. Yeah. 1920 of a war. I believe that you look at 9/11. These major catastrophes are all secular. And you're right. We have a as a as a country we have a tendency to kind of relax, relax, yeah. get real lazy, and then something smacks us in the face and we get uh, really on edge for a couple years and then we go back to being lazy. I think part of it is kind of welcome to be an American, man. Yeah, right. I think part of what this is going to show is going to it's going to show that maybe it's time we need to break out of that laziness yeah. bit by bit, piece by piece. And I think that's actually what Jason was pointing to was really a, a philosophical shift in how we approach this thing we call life and this thing we call freedom and this thing we call being American. You know, is that accurate, Jay? Yeah, except I don't know. I mean, I look at the Michigan protesters and I have mixed feelings. One is, I think, you know, I think Governor Whitmer's uh, draconian measures are, are are pretty draconian. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're pretty draconian. But I also look at, I mean, who are these people coming up with their Confederate flags and their swastikas? I think when I look... When I look at the, the the scale of the response to the draconian lockdown measures, I mean, I I think I'm looking at you know at at at, at some feral creatures that are pretty scary to me. And well, we're and gonna have so to, Jay. Hold on to this. We're gonna take a break because I want to talk about the Michigan thing so much because it was such a point of what was going on this week. So we'll be yeah, back in okay. two minutes and we're gonna look at the craziness that went on in Lansing this week. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick with Jason Hill, and this is Into the Gap. And here we are. This is segment two. And uh, we were talking about the Michigan protests, Jason. Uh, yeah. First of all, I think, you know, I don't like J.B. Pritzker. But when I look at Governor Megan, whatever her name is, or Gretchen, whatever her name is, I, I'm thankful for J.B. You know? Whitmer. Yeah, Whitmer. And her. I love the word draconian efforts. Like, basically, not quite martial law, but just a hair under it, you know? And... Uh, yeah, not allowing people to go to their homes, you know, their second homes and stuff, you know. I mean, it, it's definitely a first world problem, but, you know, I don't want to overstep that, but still. But then the protest, like you were saying, the Nazi flags and the Confederate, what, what's going on? Well, you know, it's, 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 
it's a case of going from in terms of the draconian measures mm-hmm. it's a case from going from zero to 100 yeah you know this is this is this is this is again going to your point yeah of po- fear that is reasonable rational yeah and that's understandable from a psychological standpoint yeah. when we are, we're living in an age of uncertainty yeah. that people are going and but this is a kind of fear that is also uh completely produces a completely draconian irrational yeah. response yeah. and it produces the concomitant ugly i call it feral response also yeah, yeah. it's two sides of the same coin exactly right and and, and that's that, you know and we've been going down that road when you look at how the whole discussion culturally has been you know it's these extreme polarized expressions right and yeah and there's no you know like you were talking about earlier there's no logic and reasoning. There's no, like, really, let's work out the problem. You know, it's just one extreme measure to the other. And, and like you said, they're the flip side of the same coin. And that's yeah. not how you solve a problem. That's not how you solve a problem. You know, when, you tell people, yeah. when you tell people that they can't even touch pad, they're, they're, uh, they're go to the car wash yeah. um, and employ people to scrub down, you know, the, 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 the touch pads. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like putting a jaguar. It's like putting a jaguar panther who's been used to roaming yeah. a jungle into a cage. You're going to see the lowest common denominator coming out of that jaguar. He's going to, uh, he's going to be feral. And this is what we're seeing with Americans who are used to some modicum of, to, are used to freedom. And when when you when you clamp down entirely on people's freedom, yeah, I think most Americans are are you know give. Excusing the hormone, testosterone-driven mm-hmm. young people that I teach, who mm-hmm. have no sense of response, a lot of them have no sense of responsibility. But most Americans are pretty reasonable, rational yeah, people. I think so, and, and well-intended, and well-intended, yeah. right? Uh, and can live with with social distancing and so on. Yeah. But when you when you have these draconian measures that says you can't do this, you can't do that, you're, you're going to see the lowest common denominator, the, the most feral part of them coming out, where all sense of the reasonable, all sense of the yeah. rational gets thrown to the wind. You know, Jay, you know, when you talk about it, we've had conversations and we talk about, you know, you've talked about the vitality of America mm-hmm. and you talked about the vitality of masculine leadership and masculine energy and, and what it means to be vital and to be expressed and to be forward thinking and, and, and uh, work toward building something, right? When you yeah. suppress that, you know, yeah. And when you you are creating an environment that all we care about, like when Andrew Cuomo said he's not going to do anything till there's a hundred percent safety guaranteed, there's never a hundred percent safety guaranteed. When we're locking everyone down, not only are we suppressing people physically, we're suppressing them emotionally and intellectually and culturally. And what's going to happen? It's going to break out and it's going to be ugly. I, you know, I work with a, a lot of very successful very powerful, very alpha male leaders, you know? Mm -hmm. And what I'm seeing is these guys are getting to the point where, you know, I've never seen them before. And, and it, you know, and, and all they want to do is make a contribution. They, there's, they don't know how to, they don't know what the answer is, but if you get a number of these guys together that are very result driven, Mm -hmm. very uh, vital in their purpose for living and you put these people together, they can come up and define a problem that is solvable. 
But when we, when our only response is shutting down and stepping back and holding off and protecting and reducing, we're killing the very spirit that this, that this country is about. And that's what's making me crazy. And I am, you know, I, I am all for the protesters. And when a protester brings out a Nazi flag or a Confederate flag or starts saying nonsense, it, it, it destroys the whole idea of the protest and, and it removes the, the reason for it. You know, and, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's very un-American and it's yeah. very fascistic. But I, you know, and I'm not defending it. I mean, as a you know, when I see a swastika and a, and a, and a, and a, and a neo Nazis protesting, uh, it you know, it, it it it's it's just it's 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 ugly. But yeah. you know, but but I I'm enough of a dispassionate thinker, yeah, to step back from it to understand that. And I'm not defending it. I find it quite ugly, quite feral, and yeah. quite scary. But I, but I understand that when when people feel that their their liberties are in some sense mm-hmm. being unreasonably confiscated, and when they're being trespassed upon in yeah. ways that they don't need to be trespassed upon, yeah, um, they will react in ugly, primordial ways. Now there's some there's some you know, and this is the conversation we need to have on this show. There. We we need to be sure, and this started with 9-11, and we've never recovered from this. A lot of Americans don't realize that we gave up a lot of our liberties, and we said, oh, yeah. in the name of security and freedom, we're going to allow the Bush administration to trespass on some of our liberties that we will we will recover after the, the threat of jihadism has passed. Yeah. And we have never, we have just sort of, turned a blind eye and we have never recovered from the, the, that over surveillance yeah and and those liberties we have given away every time every time we give up liberty it's given up and it's given up yeah and it, it's interesting jay i just got a text from one of our listeners that said the use of this the csa flag the confederate states of america flag has become a sign of rebellion against totalitarianism by state governments against the people it's not intended as racism so that's just a different perspective, just to let you know. That, I, that still doesn't speak for the swastikas, but that's why yeah. the, that's why the rebel flags were flown. But um, yeah, and 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 again, but you know, even the people doing that, they want to be responsible for it. that. Could be their intention, but and and this is really a key part of communication. It doesn't matter what your intention is; it, it matters what's heard and what's experienced on the other end. Right. So you can be the most well-intended person in the world, and if you're creating fear. And division on the other side, you want to you want to yeah. reshape your message, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because if you put up a swastika and you know, and and nobody is as as is as great a patriot as people who know me and read my work. Right. There's no there's no greater patriot, or I'm as great a patriot as any patriot of America as there is mm-hmm. Jason Hill. Yeah. But you're not. I'm not going to link arms with you if you're if you know if you're brandishing a swastika. No. And protesting, no. uh, right? You're going to alienate me. Right. And I'm I'm a, I'm an independent conservative who loves America passionately, who loves freedom, who yeah. loves individualism, who loves liberty. And uh, so you know you 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 want to you in a in a situation like this you want to align yourself with like-minded individuals, um, and reasonable individuals. Yeah. You know, I I think one of the great things that's going to come out of this is beginning 
is going to, and I think I said it last week, is going to be the building of unlikely alliances, you know, yeah. where people from different perspectives, uh, different political ideologies, different social organizations are going to come together yeah. because they're going to realize um, that they, ha- they really are standing for the same thing. I, I posted yeah. something on Facebook this week and got in, it was about the Michigan thing. Because I, I just was pointing to the draconian uh, methods of Governor Gretchen, right, and thought this is this is this is political overreach at its it's at its highest. I, the, the level of vitriol that I got coming back was remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. And I engaged with it, and I had this one really heated conversation with someone I would describe as an extreme progressive, right? And it was a woman, and it, and and it you know it went to misogyny and patriarchy and all it had to go through all those gates that people typically go to and what we what we came up at the end was realizing what we both wanted and saw was exactly the same thing the only difference was the method of getting there right you know there's a million different roads to get to any one destination yeah so the methodology of how we go from point a to point b is not nearly as important as the point of origin and the point of destination right and that's right. what we got to start talking about. What do we want this country to be like? Not how do we get there, if it's Democrat yes. or Republican, but what do we want it to be like? And that's, I think, one of the things that I find so powerful about you, especially, I don't think people get it because you say it very subtly, but as an independent conservative, right? There's this, what you're about is about the um, coming to creating a country that's based in freedom and liberty and opportunity. And the mm-hmm. method of getting there, you, you don't have a horse in a race. However we get there is, is going to work. And it doesn't, repu- it doesn't require you to, to, to hook your car to Trump or Lindsey Graham or any of those guys. Because if, mm-hmm. if they're not actually doing and aligned with what you say, you're not going to join them. No. And, and I find it really powerful as we're going through this and you're starting to discover that and really start parceling it apart. You know, I, on the other hand, have been a little more anarchic and more <laughs> of an anarchist than you and, and don't like any of them, you know. But, um, yeah, but it's it's really cool to see. And I think what's going to happen, there's going to be these these this coming together of people with that that possess very different, very similar ideologies about what they want. And, and mm-hmm. we've just been arguing how to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. And, you know, one of the things um, that I hope emerges from all of this is that we, 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 in terms of leadership, we begin to realize that, speaking as an educator, when people say, well, you know, what's the purpose of a liberal arts education? I say it's one, you know, as opposed to the hard sciences and economics and finance, one, there's one single role that I play as a, as a humanities professor, and that is to produce self-governing, autonomous individuals yeah. in the world. Jay, that's, right? a, that's a sign. We're going to break. We're going to pick that up, and we're going to talk about yeah. that. But, so right. we'll be back in two minutes. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 AM and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or wcgoradio.com. 
The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek at gmail.com. Dallas Cowboy Hall of Fame coach Tom Landry once said, a coach is someone who has you see what you don't want to see and has you hear what you don't want to hear so you can always be the person you knew yourself to be. Hello, I'm Mike Sherrick, founder and president of the Mike Sherrick Group and Mike Sherrick Coaching. We are an executive coaching and leadership development organization with offices in Berwyn, Illinois and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Successful organizations begin with the self-awareness and authenticity of its leaders. And in today's world, we are all leaders. If you or your organization has a big vision or you know there's another level you can go to, please give us a call at 630-643-6336. If you're one of the first three people who call us today, you will be eligible for a free IMX leadership assessment and debrief, a $550 value free to you and your organization. So give us a call at 630-643-6336 and take it on. Okay, back to the show now. Here's my co-host, Mike Schreck. Hey, we're back. <laughs> oh, Jay, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm sitting here playing on my phone waiting for the, the cue and... Uh, We've had some internet issues today, so we're we're back on the air. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. That was awesome. I love that stuff when it happens. You know, Jay, you were talking about the the value yeah. of a liberal education in the world. Well, it, yeah, yeah, because it goes back to to this whole thing of leadership. So I was yeah. saying that you know one one the one thing that among other things you know, to teach people to be not smart but mm-hmm. to be critical thinkers. Yes. The smart people do dumb things, but critical thinkers will always do the right thing yeah. is to be autonomous, self-governing individuals. And one of the things that I hope emerges from all of this and, and, and one role that I will, will, hope, will, have, will hope that I will have played as a, an educator of 24 years, a professor of 24 years, is to produce self-governing, autonomous people, yeah. is that my, you know, we, we can't rely on, on these politicians to be leaders. We have to remember that, first of all, we are self-governing as Americans. We ought to be self-governing, yeah. autonomous individuals who appoint these people as our servants. Yes. Right. We have we have we've 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 stopped thinking or remembering, I should say, that these people in Washington are basically our servants. Yeah. They're not royalty. They're not, we, we've drunk too much Kool-Aid, right? They're right. not royalty. They're not, you know, they're not celebrities. They are our servants and they're here to serve our needs. Yeah. And we're first the leaders who pick our servants and we, we pick them to serve our needs. Yeah. Yes, they occupy positions of leadership, but we have relinquished uh or autonomous self-governing positions as leaders of our own lives first and foremost. And I think that's part of, without excusing the aberrant behavior of mm-hmm. some of what went on in Michigan, I think that was that's part of what's going on when, when the measures become so draconian yeah. and the leadership aspect of people's lives are usurped, then they go, they go ballistic. Jay, let's let's talk about this because this has been one of the things that I've discovered over the last few years is the biggest thing missing. It's just what you said. It's been the abdication of personal leadership yeah. and personal responsibility, right? 
Yeah. And and yeah. not only that, not only have we abdicated that, but we've also created structures to support that. Mm-hmm. You know? And when I look at the response to the economic collapse that was created by the panic around this, this pandemic, there, there's two things that I see. First and foremost, uh, complete and utter unpreparedness by the very systems we've developed, which are the governmental structures, right? Right. And the second thing, the solution to the panic and the fear has been putting the American people on the government teat to you know, get their needs met when in fact it's not happening. Mm-hmm. So there's this false sense of security based on the government's going to provide. And I don't know about you. You didn't, I mean, you grew up in Jamaica, but I grew yeah. up in the sixties and seventies in Chicago. And I saw the government housing projects on the South side of Chicago. This was nowhere yeah. anyone wanted to live. This was, this was basically one step above prison. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we should have my friend Rory, who grew up in in the Robert Taylor homes, share about his experience yeah. growing up there, right? Yeah. Um, because it's not freedom; it's not America; it's cages, and yeah. and the solution being provided to this economic collapse is is one form of a cage or another, and that's that just isn't going to work. Yeah. And until we we mourn what we have to mourn and get out of this paralyzing panic and fear, yeah. we're very susceptible to being pulled into that. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's oh my God. Yeah. So thanks so much yeah, for pointing I, that out because that's, it's exactly what's going on, you know? And, you know, going back, Mike, to something you and I were talking about before we got on the air yeah. is, uh, you know, when I was talking about what we need is more testing yeah. and you said, well, the reason why we don't have the testing is because all the, 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 the configurations and the mm-hmm. materials and so on are coming out of China. Mm-hmm. Well, who's, we, you know, it's easy for us to blame the government and say, well, but, you know, when the manufacturing, um, when all the manufacturings were being outsourced, mm-hmm. who supported that? We, the, the American people. Oh, we yeah. preferred cheap, inferior T-shirts Absolutely. and trousers. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and mothers preferred, and, and you know, cell phones. Mer- yeah. And cell phones and poison-laden inferior toys from to- Toys R Us from China. So we've got to, again, and I love this show for the reason that, I, you know, I don't get to do it in my academic work, but mm-hmm. I get to do it on the show to celebrate the work, the workers of America, the working class and the manufacturers and the laborers. If- we've got to make some decisions. Am I going to spend more money on an, an, an American-produced product that is going to last me for 10 years? as opposed to changing out every two years and bring American jobs back to America? Or am I going to revert to type and simply say, you know, when this is, you know, when this is a little bit maxed out and the virus, I get used to the virus coming back every year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, go back to Chinese goods, cheap, inferior, poison infested, laden. I like to use that term. No, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. I, it's exactly what it is. Or are we going to go back to what happened after World War II when this economy thrived because we were producing superior manufactured goods made in America by Americans. Jake, so this is a question that yeah. we, we're, we're not blaming the government for because we endorse this with our, with our, with our dollars. Jay, it, right? what, I was actually involved in, in manufacturing both at the height of it and when it dissolved. And I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, because I was I was smack dab in the middle of it, and I couldn't believe what I was watching. So there were 
there were several things that happened. So in the 80s, back in the 70s, it was very similar to this. We got kind of fat, dumb, and lazy. And we took, yeah. it, we took it in the shorts from a competitive standpoint by the Japanese that were providing equivalent pr- product at less cost. And so the consumer chose – the consumer is always going to choose what's best for them. And we tried, yeah. we, we, we rallied around the flag and the buy American and we didn't step up and, and take care of, of business. So what happened is we went to this incredible recess, recession, 1980, Ronald Reagan comes in, he unburdens the corporations of all the tax burdens and has them rebuild their businesses. And at that point on, American business began to thrive. The 80s and the 90s were the, a, a time of incredible industrial revolution in this country where technology was infused and we built some of the greatest products in the world, especially com- computers and electronics. Dell Computer started. That's when Microsoft started. Apple Computer, Ford Motor Company went through a transformation. Harley Davidson went through a transformation. John Deere went through a transformation. Caterpillar Tractor went through a de- transformation. We were this leader, okay? Simultaneously, uh, the political guys got involved, and we, we, we also had this shift of in corporate America from being mission-driven and product-driven to being shareholder-driven, and greed took over. Mm-hmm. And, and so how did we – who became the enemy when greed took over in the corporate wealth structure? And also the, all the attention paid on the stock market. So people's 401ks were going to the stock market. The stock market just started driving things. The enemy of the stock market became organized labor. So what did that mean? That meant we outsourced labor. That meant we started sending stuff. That's when NAFTA came in, okay? And we started sending stuff to Mexico and and all over the place. And we started outsourcing stuff. That was during the Clinton administration, a Democrat. And that's that's what happened. And by the time 9-11 hit and, you know, we we were addicted and we, we needed to come back and we wanted to recover, we went back to the trough of the cheap products. And ever yeah. since ever since about 2003 on, there's been this constant outsourcing of products to overseas. And there's been a decline in manufacturing ever since. Mm-hmm. And, and we lost sight of it. And it's, a, it's actually a national security issue as we're seeing now. So what it we got to do, it's happened before. It doesn't take that long. We've got to bring manufacturing back. And we have to, we've got to get responsible for how business is done. We can't have companies making record profits every year, then taking that profits and spending it back on, on stock buybacks. Right. You know, they've got to put it in retained earnings so that they can weather the storms, you know? And, and that's what's been going on. So we've got to look at our tax structure. We've got to end corporate welfare for organizations. We've got to look at compensation for CEOs. The average tenure of a CEO is 30 months. Mm-hmm. They're barely there. And they get yeah. these huge payoffs. And they're not leading. So we've really got to restructure the way business is being done here. And bring it back to the capitalistic structure and put people and employment as one of the key items for what we have this. Because otherwise, yeah. otherwise we're going to destroy this country. So I don't know. I'm a little bit on a soapbox there, but I hope I was on a No, no, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, but, you but, know, again, again, the American consumer mm-hmm. uh, in a has got to be responsible. Is, yeah. 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 We've you got know, addicted we, to $600, 63-inch flat screens. Yeah, you know, those things used we to be. Ratif- we ratified the outsourcing by by endorsing these cheap goods. Absolutely, with our, with our, with our consumer habits. Well, and the other thing is, we ratify it by, you know, again, you didn't grow up here, but do you? Re- I'm sure it was not much different in Jamaica. Like, how long did a refrigerator last in Jamaica or when you were growing up? You know, uh, for a lifetime. A lifetime, right? 
Now, if you get 10 years out of them, eh, it's a good deal, you know? Yeah. And so, and again, that's the disposability of it. And and that's part of the end of craftsmanship, you know? And if there's, if something goes, like, I've got a stack of, you know, Microsoft computers in my office that have burnt out. Average 10 years, about 18 months. That's that's why I went to Apple. Because things didn't last, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so... We've got to start looking at what is quality again. You know, what does it mean? And, and when we look at quality in our, in our consumer practices, we've got to start asking ourselves, what's quality in the way we live? And this gets back to the thing you were pointing to. What are we really here for? What do we want to create? Yeah. What does it mean to be American? Exactly. What does it mean to be American? And, uh, uh, this, is and when, we... this is when everyone should go read your book right now. Because that actually, the flying into Atlanta... The vision you had is as clear a purpose statement has ever been said, right? Like you came yeah. here purposefully. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's, that's one of the real joys is sometimes people from other countries that come here and make America theirs have a better mm-hmm. understanding of what is possible in America. Well, you come with an aspirational longing and an aspirational, yeah. your identity is fixed on an, on an aspiration. Yeah. And, um, you know, and one of the things that as a teacher who's who's taught in five different universities and yeah. from, you know, black Let's talk about that when we come back. I, want, I really want you to share with people like your vision of America because I think it's really powerful and really unique. I don't know if any of you guys are watching uh, Facebook Live, but uh, Jason's got like one of the coolest sh- shirts I've ever seen on. It's pretty awesome, dude. You know, it's very fall-like. Very fall-like, is it? It looks. Uh, it's, it's got a, leaves. It's, it's got leaves on it. Is it white and blue or white and green? I'm colorblind, but it's like you're colorblind. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's white and it's green and it's got it's leaves. It's got like yeah. it's like fall leaves, like leaves falling. Yeah, during the fall. You no. Know? Yeah. So. so so Jason looks very <laughs> very festive and beautiful, and I look like a roadie for a heavy metal band. So that's that's good. I still dress up every morning when I sit at my desk to do, I to put, do my work. I put pants on, so that's that's a blow for freedom. So yeah, uh, we when we we're going to break, and it seems like every time you get on a roll, we get on, we're going to break. So I, I really want uh, you know we were talking about the really the vision of what American can be coming out of this thing, and uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm on the second reading of your book, We Have Overcome. I, I, I found this thing to just be an awesome, awesome book. And it, it actually inspires me. And I can usually read in about one and a half sittings. So um, I would love for you to share with people. There's that part where you're talking about when you're coming in, like what you're coming, mm-hmm. like you're coming here for a purpose. You know, as a, what were you, 20, 22, 20 years old? Right? 20. Yeah. 20, you know. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think of most 20 year olds I run into, let's not, let's say they may not be as purpose driven as you were at 20, right? I think that's yeah. a fair statement. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was yeah. pretty intense. Yeah. Well, you're pretty intense now, you know, a few years later. But it, it's, it, but I think there's a clarity that when you adopt, when you get to, like, you actually chose America. Yeah, you know, I was born here, you know. I didn't know, you know. I had to choose yeah. it much later, when I'm like, and I actually left a few times before I really got clear on what America had to offer. I mean, I went to Europe probably 20 times and realized, you know, it's different here. It's yeah, and it's way better here, you know. Yeah, um, I could have, yeah. Yeah, so I just would love to hear from you, you know, talk on that a little bit. I, I could have gone to Switzerland because my cousin was the ambassador from Jamaica to Switzerland. And my mother asked me, do you want to go to Switzerland? And I was like, no, 
I don't want to be a European man. I want to be an American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, and she said, you could learn. You could you could go to Swiss school and learn French and yeah and learn German and and be an internationalist. And I'm like, well, no, America is where. So you know, I made this covenant with America on the yeah. plane. I said, you know, I would conjoin the best within myself mm-hmm. with the best of the American people and the best that America had to offer. Because what America really, really does is it allows you to rewrite no matter what your past and no matter what your background, it gives you the rear opportunity to play God in a sense and to write the script of what you want to become and to, and to, and to, to, to write the slate clean and start from scratch um, the person that you wish to become and to, and we all have this transcendent, part of our being where we can transcend our becomings yes but not every not every social environment if you're born in saudi arabia as a woman god help you get the oh hell out no no get out or you know or in north korea i mean try just try to escape but uh so america is one magical place that if you're an untouchable in india and you manage to get out most americans don't even know what a dalit is and they probably are right are proper not to know you come to america People don't care if you are an untouchable. Mm-hmm. You can rewrite yes. and become what you want to become yep. and transcend your past. And that's a very, that's a, that's a, America is the most benevolent, moral, ethical country in the world because among other things, it, most people in America don't care where you came from or what you were. Not really. It, they care about where you're heading. Exactly. And, and, and so long as you are not a, uh, a, a parasite, right. you know, on the economy. So long as you're not, you don't have a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. I didn't come here thinking America would be anything. In fact, I came here thinking that it's a gift because Im- immigration is not yeah. a right; it's a privilege. Right. And uh, you know, you, you just want to, you just want to make something remarkable of your life, and to, and to, and to, and to, to work hard and and make something stupendous of your life. In conjoinment with your compatriots, with your fellow Americans, yeah. And uh, this is this is truly a magical place because, again, it it gives you the opportunity. Um, the opportunity, I say, it doesn't. And this is this is it gives you the opportunity to make something of yourself. You work hard. Yep. What really bothers me now is that most a lot of immigrants coming to this country want you know, not just equality of opportunity, but e- equality of results. Yeah. And that's a kind of utopianistic fantasy that's short of a dictatorship. Well, and, and, and that's and that's some of the manipulation by a certain segment of our political environment, you know. Yeah. I yeah. I uh I have the privilege to interact uh because of where I have my office and where I grew up and what I where I chose to put my office is in Berwyn, Illinois. And um there's a large part of the population there is of Mexican descent. And yeah. and I have the the extreme privilege of being able to interact with a lot of first and second and even some third generation immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. And so by the time they get to third generation right, immigrants anymore, they're as goofy as I am. So, um, but, you know, these people are remarkably industrious and all they want to do is succeed. And mm-hmm. all they want to do is live into that American dream. And mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm so disappointed about is, is the, this government shutdown doesn't allow for that expression. And, yeah. and that freedom is really fragile. And there's enough of this other communication that is talking about and creating the entitlement you're talking about 
And then these programs where you sit at home and you collect a check, you know, mm-hmm. or the or the 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 promise that you're going to get a check. I'm not sure the checks ever come, but the promise of a check is enough for people to actually step away from their dreams. Yeah. Or to even step away from the creation of their dreams. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is really the sin. And so, yes, this this pandemic is horrible and it's terrible, but the solution to it and this the level of shutdown that we've had, I think far exceeds the disease. And there has to be a way, and it's incumbent upon the independent business people, I believe, to start coming yeah. together and figuring out a workable way where we can start putting this back together. Because I don't think it's going to come from the government. If we sit here and wait for the government to come with an answer, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be civil unrest, but it has to be right. civil disobedience from the standpoint of taking action. You know? Or if it's not even civil disobedience, I would say, Mike, that we can never, even in a pandemic, we can't allow our agency to be expropriated by anyone. We have to allow the, 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 un, the unlimited capabilities that reside within each of us. Yeah. All of us are geniuses, or not geniuses. All of us are talented and skilled. Extremely in, skilled and have incredible attributes. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to allow that, 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 that unrealized capable those unrealized capabilities to manifest themselves in the middle of this pandemic in the most unfathomable ways we don't know yet but in the immediacy of the moment the moment is pregnant with so many possibilities and we just can't we we can't sit back and just say you know i'm paralyzed what i would love to see jay is you know with the the coming of the spring in the next few weeks I would yeah. love to see one of these restaurants that have the big outdoor areas, set them up so there's enough distance between everyone so that people have the experience of being safe and open them up regardless of government edict or not, you know, and see, mm-hmm. and see what happens. You know, I, I, that, that's when I think we're going to start getting it back together. You know, when we can start to responsibly socialize, responsibly communicate, responsibly be with one another, you know, yeah. and, and bring back, and that's just one idea. It could be stupid, but. You know, but we're just about out of time, brother. It's been such a joy to see you. We didn't talk all week because it's been a crazy week. But, I know, uh, I know. Thank you again for all you do and all you bring. And uh, thank you. It's been a joy. Well. And uh, thank you. Yeah, man. So we'll be back next week. This is Mike Sherrick, and this is and Jay. Jay, and this is Into the Gap. And uh, thanks to our producers, Mike and uh, and Randall. You guys have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. I'll see you. All right. Bye.